Ecclesiastes chapter number 3. To everything there is a season, a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. Time to embrace. Time to refrain from embracing. A time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh, that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor, it is the gift of God. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before him. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth, that which the past. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. What's the point? <clears throat> if you try to find satisfaction in your work, we found in chapter number one, you'll ultimately be disappointed. If you try to find satisfaction in learning and figuring out this world and philosophy, it'll just make you depressed. The more you know, the more uh, you'll be know to be sorry about. Well, you can turn your heart to laughter but that only lasts for a little while, and drinking can only temporarily dull the pain. You sober up, and you still got problems in life. You can't find satisfaction in money, because more money brings more problems. Entertainment's fun for a while, but then it gets boring, and you need something else, something different. And even if you had it all, gained everything, gained the whole world, you're eventually going to die and somebody else is going to take it. Somebody who didn't earn it and probably won't appreciate it. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. But Solomon perceived, as we saw in chapter 2, that we shouldn't try to make this world do something that it can't do. You can't take a tool and make it do something that it's not meant to do or designed to do because you'll end up breaking it or breaking what you're working on. You can't make this world do what it was, what it cannot do, and that is fulfill you and, and give you satisfaction. You can't be happy wanting life to do what it can't do under the sun. This world is crooked and it can't be straightened out. And so 
we found out that there's nothing better for man that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor because that's from the hand of God. But what if we can get in the groove of life and just keep everything the way it is? That you get into a point where everything's kind of smooth and everything's going just the way that you want it. Why can't we just leave it and not change anything and then, then life will just be fine? Put Hit pause on life. Get to a point where you're happy and then just hit pause. But we know that's not going to happen either, don't we? Things change. Time marches on. And that's what we have here this evening. Time. Everything is changing. Everything changes. We're going to break this down <coughs> excuse me, into two parts. First we'll see what the poet sees in the poem there at the beginning. And then we'll look at what the preacher knows. Because we have two different things going on. We have something that Solomon sees interpreted by something Solomon knows. So the first part of this is this poem. It's, it's what the poet sees. And that's the, the famous part there that everybody knows, a time for this and a time for that. The poet sees things as they really are. There's a, people why, there's a reason why people know this passage. There's a reason why you can go to a Christian's funeral and you might hear this, or you can go to an atheist's funeral and you might hear this. There's a reason why in 1965 the birds had a number one single on the, the billboard charts with turn, 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 almost word for word of this section here that we read. Because it resonates, because it's true. That's the way life is. You can open your eyes and look around for a little bit, and you say that there's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. It accurately describes the world that we live in. And that's what this is. It's a poem about the way the world is. Solomon, the poet, sees the way the world is under this sun and accurately describes it. And you've got opposites all throughout that. A time to kill, a time to heal. So those are your opposites. Uh, you got a positive and a negative, and, and those uh, separate the, the thoughts there, and you got everything in between. Well, why was that song called Turn, Turn, Turn? Well, I thought it was about the world spinning. That's what I always had thought, that the world is turning, like uh, it says in chapter 1, and, and times have changed. But um, as I read about a little bit, Pete Seeger wrote that part. Um, turn, 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 and then it has a line there at the end that he added. It was a, it was an anti-war, anti-Vietnam song. It was turn from war, turn from fighting. So it was a call for repentance, a call to do something. But that's not what this is about. This is not a poem about doing things. It's just a poem about there's different times and seasons of life. There's no command here for us to, to do things. There's nothing in there telling us to do things. It's just saying this is the way the world is. They're observations. In fact, in some of these lines, it's not clear whether one is a positive or a negative, or maybe it's neutral. You just don't know. A time to keep and a time to cast away. Well, which one, which one is, is which? Sometimes keeping things is good. Sometimes casting away is good. You don't know. 
a, a time to break down, a time to build up. Well, sometimes breaking down something is a good thing. If you're going to break down the soil before you plant, that's a good thing. Time to build up a house, that's a good thing. So uh, these are just observations, not commands. Life is full of ups and downs. Nothing under the sun lasts forever. And there's a time and a season for everything in life that's outside of our control. And that's the main point of this. Life changes, and none of this is according to our design. I had no say in when I was going to be born, and I'll have no say when I'm going to die. Oftentimes, uh, we have no say if it's a time of war, if it's a time of peace. Most times, we don't have even a say if it's time to rend or time to sow. Sometimes we sow because we rent and we didn't mean to rent, right? So these are just way, the way the world is. We're born and we die. We plant and we harvest. You might plant too early. Or you might choose to plant too late or not to plant at all. But we can't deny it. there's only a small window of time that you can do it or you'll miss it. If you start trying to plant tomatoes in the middle of January... That's not going to work because there's a time to plant and there's a time to harvest. A bad guy breaks into your house, it might be a time to kill. But if a child is sick and you give him medicine, it would be a time to heal. There's a time for embracing. When a man and woman get married, there's a time for the joy and the pleasure of the marriage bed. There's a time for things, a season. But many of these things are outside of our Ability to change them. It's just the way the world works. So what we make of these observations. Do we go to verse number nine and and think about these? And so after Solomon sees this, the poet sees it, and he says, well, What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? So now we're back to the same question he asked at the beginning of the book. What profit do you have working where you labor? Because things change. Time marches on and we can't stop it. We're, we're just being carried along. And, and oftentimes react to things that are about us. We don't get to decide. Um, you know, If we had to decide, would we ever decide for a time to weep or a time to mourn? No, we would, we would choose the time to laugh and the time... To dance, we would not choose the, the sorrow. Uh, these are things that, that are outside of our control. So Solomon said, what profit do we have in working in a, in a world that's always changing? Well, if there is no God, and we're forever bound to the whims out, and outside forces that are out of our control, some impersonal, random, and pointless acts Molecules just bouncing around and, and, and beating us down and, and just out in the middle of the sea being tossed and turned with no direction, no control would be awful depressing. And if, that's, and if you look out in the world and see that and that's all that you see, well, there's no hope. So you look out. This is not a, a song of, or this is not a poem of, to uplift, it's not a, even really a, a poem to bring you down unless you look at it incorrectly. Solomon looks at the, the changes and he says, 
We can't keep things the way that we want them. Everything changes. He's seen the travail which God has given to the sons of men to be exercised in. So how, how are we supposed to see this? We'll look in verse 1 again. To everything, there's a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. So you got everything at the beginning, every purpose at the end. And there in the middle, you've got a season and a time. There's seasons in life. There are times for things to happen and time for things not to happen. Not just some things, but everything. To everything, everything that happens, good or bad, wicked or godly, joyful or sorrowful, everything, there is a season. And there's a time to everything that happens. A time to every purpose under heaven. So that we see that everything comes in time according to a purpose. That is not random. It's not impersonal and pointless and out of control. But there is a season that has been planned. There is a time and a purpose under heaven. That God has put in control, or that God has ordained. So if we look at this world, and there is no God, and you say, wow, this world is out of control, it's, it's random, it's pointless, it's fruitless. What's, what's the profit? What's the point? But if we stop and look at all these things, a, a time to get, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away... Those are seasons, different seasons. And everything that happens in those seasons is happening at the time appointed by God and the purpose that he has purposed it with. All things work together for good. And so Solomon, I believe, is setting us up here to think about um, how we, we should view these things. Now let's... Look in verse number 10. I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart that, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from beginning to the end. So life is hard. And the travail and troubles that we have work us over. But it's God that gives us these times and seasons. God hath made everything beautiful in his time. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. God has made all things beautiful in his time. Even the things that are sorrowful for his people, even the things that, the things that cause mourning for us who are in Christ, God has made it beautiful in his time. There's a purpose in it. There's a purpose to sorrow. There's a purpose to mourning. There's a purpose in building up. There's a purpose in healing. Everything, every change is from the hand of God according to his purpose. And God has made everything beautiful in his time. He's put everything together in his time like a, uh, the, the, a maker of a tapestry. 
If you look real closely, you might not be able to, to see the design, but you step back and you can see the how it's all woven together. Our time is purposed according to his plan in his time. So everything that happens in our life is according to his timing. The seasons of our life are according to God's purpose. And so when we go through the poem and have the different seasons and different times, we can know that this time of laughter is according to his purpose or the time of mourning is as well. That, that it is God's purpose in our life. It's not wild. It's not out of control. It's not pointless. It's not meaningless. But according to the plan of our God. God set the world in our heart. And I think that means that we're made to be looking for meaning. That, that we have the world in our heart or, or eternity in our heart. That, that we're, not just, we're not just animals without soul and without reason. But we are made to think about why things happen. That's why people say, why do bad things happen? Or the guy wrote a book, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, that's what people think about. Well, I'm good, and so why do bad things happen? Why am I on this planet? Why, why am I on this rock out in the middle of the galaxy? What's the purpose of my life? Is this all that there is? I wake up and I go to work and I work and I come home and I do that over and over and over again. Is this all that there is? God set the world in our heart to, to contemplate the reason why we're here. And if, and if you don't have God and you just see the continual spinning of the globe and the sun coming up and the sun going down and, and eventually you just get beat down and, and what's the point? Well, kids will have a dream for the future. Well, when I graduate high school, then everything will be fine. Well, when I graduate and get me a good job, then everything will be fine. When I get married, then everything will be good. Whenever we have kids, then everything will be good. Then it's whenever the kids are grown, then everything will be good. Well, when I retire, then, you know, it's always the next thing, looking for the satisfaction. It's always changing, and, and maybe the next change in our life will bring us peace and satisfaction. It's good for a while, then it levels out, and you look for the next thing. Middle-aged have midlife crisis because they put their lives in sort of perspective, and, and they say, well, maybe I'm slowing down, and, and maybe uh, I won't get to do the things I wanted to do, and then they panic and, and fall into to sin. I, maybe what happened to David? Or you could get older and look back and be full of regret or, or bitterness. Or sentimental. But why do we think about these things? Well, God has set the world in our heart to consider time and space and meaning. But we're not able to figure it out. No man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. So God has set this in our heart to, to desire to, to know these things and, and be 
in fellowship with the eternal God, and yet we can't figure these out. And it's no wonder people are frustrated. It's no wonder that people who don't know God are frustrated about how bad this this life can feel. And, And people look and say, well, there's injustice everywhere. It's not fair. It's not right. Why do I have to to work all this time and then and then not get anything out of it? And so you have that's a, a lot of the problems people are facing today. They say, well, why should I have to go to school and then get a loan to pay for it and then have to work to pay it off and then and all these types of things? And they're just looking around. So what's the point? I think that's what happened in the shutdown. Uh, people were paid not to work for a little while. And they said, well, what's the point in going back? What's the point in it? I, I, I can survive without going to work, then I'll do that. And I think it broke a lot of people. Because they just looked out, and there was nothing transcendent. There's nothing meaningful. They just saw the repetition, the big machine grinding them down, and, and it, they despaired. We can't figure out the way the world works and why it does or why we play a part in it. But it's God who's the master builder. He's the potter and we're the clay. We know there's meaning. We know there's transcendence. We just can't perceive what it is. We want to figure things out and ask why. This can't be all that there is. There has to be something more. Well, there's only a few ways that you can think about it. I mean, we can look at the world as the poet sees it. We can look at the world as the atheist sees it. Or we can look at the world the way that God describes it. Chesterton said, If it be true that a man can feel happiness in skinning a cat, then the religious philosopher can only draw one of two conclusions. He must either deny the existence of God as the atheists do or deny the union between God and man as Christians do. The new theologians seem to think it's a rationalistic solution to deny the cat. And so what he's saying is you can look at the pain in the world and you can look at evil in the world and you can say, well, look at all this evil and this bad in the world. Well, God must not exist. Because if there's bad and there's evil, then... Uh, God must not uh, exist because there wouldn't be any bad or evil. Or we can say, look at all the evil in the world as a result of sin and the curse. And God has said that he has sent his son into this world to die, to redeem us. And then one day he will set things right and there will be a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth, where a new Eden where things will be set right according to to the work of the hands of our Lord Jesus. But we can, the one thing we can't do is deny that there's a problem at all. We can look at the world with all of its cycles and its moments in time and decide it's all randomness and that if God existed, he wouldn't have bad things to happen. Or we can see the problems of the result of our own enmity with God. And, and the solution then is reconciliation that we have in Christ. We can't just whistle in the past the graveyard and pretend things don't happen. We do our neighbors a disservice by pretending pain and sorrow doesn't happen 
by pretending that it doesn't affect us. But what we can do is we can witness why we have hope and sorrow. That's what Peter said, that, that when people would ask us what the reason for the hope that is within us. Because they can say, how can you weep and yet have hope? How can you press on in sorrow and yet have hope? How can you have joy in a time when the world's upside down? Say, well, you're looking at the world without God, and I'm looking at the world um, knowing a God. The answer isn't to pretend to be full of joy or deny that God exists or to deny God is sovereign. But the answer is, as Solomon is pointing out, know that God is sovereign. A.W. Pink said, God does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases. He is the supreme being and the sovereign of the universe. God is sovereign. And this is the point that uh, Solomon is making. So sovereign, he does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases. You think of sovereign, you spell it S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N, that reign, that's how you can remember what that means. God reigns, he reigns like a king, he reigns over his kingdom. He is the Lord God Almighty, who, which art was and art to come, he has taken, he has great power and he has reigned. Uh, it says in Revelation eleven seventeen, God reigns, he is the king. And the Lord overall, um, Psalm 99, verse number one. Some going the wrong way. Psalm 99. The Lord reigneth. He is the king. He controls all things. He does as he pleases. Always as he pleases. And only as he pleases. Let the people tremble. He that sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion. He is high above all the people. Let them praise thy holy and terrible name, for it is holy. God is sovereign. He is great. He is high. He is lifted up. In the 97th Psalm, it said, The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitudes of the isles be glad thereof. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. As fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about. His lightnings enlighted the world. The earth saw and trembled. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness. And all the people see his glory. Confound to be... All they that serve graven images, the boast themselves of idols, worship him, all you gods. Zion heard and was glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoiced because of the judgments, O Lord. For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. He is sovereign. He is sovereign over the people. He is sovereign over the nations. He is sovereign over the weather. The lightnings enlightened the world. The hills melted like wax. God rules. Not just the good times, but the bad times. Not just in uh, peace, but in war. Uh, his 
his enemies are confounded and crushed before him. The people see his glory and tremble. <clears throat> he rules, he reigns. Some people think that God only controls things that are good. And they'll say, don't say that God has anything to do with tornadoes or famine or pestilence. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under the heaven. God has a plan and a purpose in all things, including things that we don't like, including things that uh, we don't think they, they should be. But we know that our God, who is good and right and holy, is in control of all things. And so when we are in the midst of change in different times and seasons of our life, what do we do? We look up to the Lord who sits upon his throne, reigning over this earth as the good and glorious king, and we rejoice. Did you notice that in Psalm 99, that it was not look to the sovereignty of God and become dour, look to the sovereignty of God and become one of the frozen chosen as uh, Armenians like to say that we are, that, that we're cold-hearted uh, people because we believe in the sovereignty of God. No, let them praise thy great and terrible name for it is holy. Let the people tremble. Let the people rejoice in God's sovereignty and his holiness. It is a cause for comfort. It is a cause for rejoicing. It is a cause for praise. It is a cause for awe and worship that, that the great and mighty and powerful Lord God of heaven and earth controls every aspect of every moment of existence, all according to his plan and his purpose. It all happens according to his time. God rules in the affairs of our life. In 1 Samuel chapter number 1, Hannah is distraught because she's childless. And her husband had two wives, and Hannah didn't have any kids, but her other, her other, uh, I guess we'd say her uh, competition, didn't have any problem in that department. And that just distraught Hannah something awful, because here she is, childless, that's what she wants as a child. Her husband um, has another wife that, gives, that she has children, but she just can't have children. For Hannah, it was a time to weep. And she was so torn up, she just wasn't eating. It was a time to mourn for Hannah. It was a time to refrain from embracing. And her husband comes and says, Why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? And she couldn't find any comfort with her husband or any satisfaction with, with having a child and and she's just tore up. So she goes to pray. She pours her heart out to God. And Eli, the high priest, thinks she's drunk. But it was a time to speak. It wasn't a time to be quiet. It was a time to speak to God. And so God answered her request. She went back home, and it was a time to embrace. And she conceived because it was a time to be healed. And she had a son and named him Samuel. 
because it was a time for Samuel to be born. God gave her the desire of her heart and it was a time to laugh and to dance and to rejoice. Well, in her prayer, she promised that she would give the boy to the Lord and she kept Samuel until he was weaned because it was a time to keep. And once he was weaned, it was a time to lose as she gave him to the Lord. So how did Hannah view all this? How did Hannah view the ups and the downs, the sorrows, the pain, the joy, the sickness, the, the complications of her life, the loneliness, the having the child and giving the child up? And she said, well, that's just the way it is. No. Life's hard and then you die. No, that's not how Hannah processed this. Look in chapter number 2, 1 Samuel, verse number 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over my enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. There is, neither is there any rock like our rock. She praised God. She rejoiced in his salvation. She, she rejoiced in God's working in her life. She praised God because he is almighty. He is her savior. Talk no more, verse 3. So exceedingly proud. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is God of knowledge, and by him his actions are weighed. You think you can figure this world out? We don't know anything. Talk no more exceedingly proudly or let arrogance come out of your mouth. Well, I'm a master of my own fate. I do whatever I want to do. I'm in control. You make your heart beat. You keep your arteries clean. You keep your, your health at bay. You keep wars from breaking out. You keep fires from uh, starting on the hillside. You keep lightning from striking. You keep tornadoes from coming. Is that what you do? We can't. Hannah was mocked by her her enemies and and discarded and dis, uh, mistreated. The Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The Lord knows; He's in control. I don't know; you don't know, but the Lord knows. That's what Hannah says. Remember, I have seen the travail which God have given the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. He has set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from beginning to the end. Let's not be proud and be arrogant. For it's the Lord who knows. It's according to his plan. Even if God told us, we wouldn't understand. A little kid will ask, why can't we do this? Why can't I go there? Why can't I do that? Well, even if you told them, they might not understand. You tell them what's going on, and they wouldn't know. Sometimes you get curious and ask somebody that's working on something. You might say, what are you doing to fix that? And they explain it to you, and you just have to nod your head and go on because... They told you what they were doing. You didn't understand what they were doing to fix it. 
Right? Somebody might be working on the computer. What are you doing to fix it? Oh, I'm doing this, this, and this. And they left off speaking English as far as you know what they were telling you that you're doing. I, I don't know what you're doing. You're doing something. So, Well, we don't know what God's doing. We can't see the, the works of his hand, but we just have to trust in our Lord. Well, she goes on. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they stumbled and girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread. They that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. The mighty are broken, the weak are given strength, the full beg for bread, the hungry are fed, the barren give birth, the strong is made feeble. There's times and there's seasons that we just can't explain. They're outside of our control. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor, he maketh rich, he bringeth low, he lifteth up. He raised up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among the princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints and the wicked shall be silent in the darkness. By strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces out of heaven. Shall we thunder upon them? The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. He shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. The Lord does as he pleases, Hannah knew. Hannah knew that out of small things, out of things that look barren, out of things that look defeated, God shows himself to be strong. Just as she prophesied of the strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. That one day from that little town of Bethlehem and then from Nazareth would come the horn of her salvation. Out of the small and desert land would spring up a root, the root of Jesse. Judah looked as if it had been crushed and defeated. But God had a plan. He had a plan. And, and it was working according uh, to his sovereign decree. So Hannah navigated the seasons of her life by trusting in the sovereignty of her God. All the times and all the seasons that were going on in this section of her life, the whole time she was looking to God. That didn't mean she didn't cry. Of course she cried and wept. It says she did. She was sorrowful. How did she bear? Did she give up? Was it pointless? Was she cynical? No, she just kept looking to God. Trusting in God. She was trusting in the Lord who, who made her. Well, as we... As we close, we've seen what the preacher sees. But now, let's close out by looking at what the preacher knows. So we've seen what he sees. He sees a world that's all messed up. But what does he know? You see that uh, two times in the last part of our text. I know, in verse 12, I know that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it or taken from it. And God doeth it 
that men should fear before him. Seeing can't always be believing. I've seen a lot of things in my life uh, that I don't believe. I've seen uh, a chicken beat a grown man in tic-tac-toe. With my very own eyes, I saw a grown man spend his hard-earned money to play tic-tac-toe with the chicken and lose. Then I saw him pay more money to lose again. And then I saw him do it a third time. So this guy's crazy to think that he's going to beat... this this chicken. Now, do I I saw it with my very own eyes, but do I believe that this chicken had mastered the concept and strategy of tic-tac-toe where he could beat a man three times for a dollar a game or whatever it was? Well, no. But what I saw with my very own eyes is interpreted by what I know. Solomon saw all this stuff. Life is hard and it changes. But what's he know? That's the difference. We, we interpret what we see by what we know. I know there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and do good in his life. And that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It is the gift of God. So how does Solomon interpret the poem that he wrote? He knows that it's not, there's no good in the world to have satisfaction out of except to rejoice and eat and drink what God has given you as a gift from God. So you can wake up and Get your lunch and drive to work and drag through the day and eat your lunch and see what's in your lunch and then maybe complain about your sandwich and then uh, say, well, I don't know why I fixed this. I don't even want it. And then, then eat it and complain and go back to work and get in the car and drive back home and do the same thing all over again the next day. Well, that's looking at everything the wrong way, isn't it? You wake up and God's giving you another day. Your heart's still beating. You're still breathing. You have food to eat. You have taste buds to enjoy. You know, researchers found out that when you eat, there's an opioid release in your brain, chemicals are released in your brain. Whether the food is enjoyable or not, whether you even it's your favorite or not, there's pleasure chemicals that are released in your brain that, you can, that, that cause you to have this uh, rush of, of, of pleasure uh, just by eating even if it's not your favorite. God has created you to enjoy the gifts he's given you. You've got taste buds because God wanted you to enjoy those things. Now you can counteract it by grumbling and complaining or not thinking about it or whatever, but, but Solomon says, God is sovereign. We can't change these things. It's according to his plan, so when he gives me something good, I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to thank him for it. I'm not going to despair of what I don't have, but enjoy what I have in this season. And if I'm in a bad season, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to be thankful for everything that I have. I'm going to be thankful for the salvation I have in Christ. And he does all these things that we should fear him. Not the fear of a servant, but to stand in awe of him. Jesus said, Be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that they have no more they can do. For I forewarn you, whom you shall fear, you shall fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. We've got about three minutes, and we'll be done. But Jesus says, don't Fear them here in the world. 
fear God. And not a servile fear, but the, the, the fear of, of one who loves and knows that there is a God and, and worships him and honors him. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And Jesus says, fear him who ordained it. Stand in awe of the God who brings the tornado and the lightning. And not one little sparrow is forgotten. One man said, we have the sense enough to, to run for cover when the tornado comes, but not sense enough to stand in awe of the one who sends the tornado. Stand in awe of the God who rules over nations and galaxies, who controls the sun and the moon, and knows every hair on your head. What I see is a world that's messed up because of the curse. I see trials and sickness and pain and frustration. I see things go all right for a while, then go south. I see one step forward and two steps back. I see sometimes the only progress you make is going backwards. Everything under the sun is vanity. But I also know that my Lord Jesus was born under the sun. He was born in this cursed world, and he lived in the vanity under the sun. There was a time for him to be born of a virgin, and a time for him to die on the cross. There was a time that he healed the sick, and a time where he was killed for envy. There was a time that he wept over Lazarus' grave and a time that he wept at the Garden of Gethsemane, but a time they rejoiced over sinners who repented. There was a time to break down the false teachings of the Pharisees and a time to build up his church. A time to keep silent like a sheep before the shearers was dumb and a time to speak as God's anointed prophet. There was a time to go to war against error. And he said, think not that I've come to send peace. I came not to send peace but the sword, but that he died that we might have peace with God. Jesus knows what it's like to live under the sun. He knows what it's like to live in a world of vanity. So what we need to do is live like he did, not by what we see, but what we know. We don't need to live by what we see, but live by what we know. Live by the knowledge that God is sovereign, that God the Father loves us in Christ. He has a plan for us. There's a season for everything and a purpose to every season. And no matter where we're at, we can't change things. We can't go backwards. We can't go fast forward. We can't hit pause. But every second we know we are in God's time, in God's plan, in God's purpose. And we can take each second, everything that we have, as a gift, as grateful children from the hand of our loving Father and enjoy what he's given us. Rejoice, as Paul said, in everything, in all things, we can rejoice in Christ because we see every little thing, every little blessing, every little moment of peace, every morsel of food, we can take it and rejoice and say, boy, that was good of God to give that to me. That was good of God to give me a night's sleep. That was good of God to give me a little bit of sunshine today. It was good of God not to forsake me in my time of mourning and my, my weakness. So take what we see and interpret it by what we know. I pray that the Lord would help us to do that. It's a difficult thing to do. But it's the way we glorify God in this uh, world under the sun.